You're listening to Venture Vignettes, a podcast that features learnings from trailblazers in entrepreneurship and investment. I'm your host, Rihanna Shah, and today on the show, we have Rashad Moore, founder of Score3Angels. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks so much for being on the show today, Rashad. Thanks for having me. To start out with, would love to hear a bit of your story. How did you end up starting Score3Angels? What was it that made you end up in D.C.? Oh, man, I followed my wife out here. Um, we met in college, uh, some college sweethearts, and um, she graduated a year before I did because she's obviously she's much smarter than me. Um, <laughs> and so she moved out to D.C. I was still in uh, Stillwater, Oklahoma. Go Pokes. Um, and uh, yeah, so I was like, hey, I love D.C. I love her. And so uh, once I graduated uh, electrical engineering out of Oklahoma State, I uh, moved up here. And uh, we've been uh, hanging out ever since. Um, I uh, joined a small startup called uh, Localize. Um, We sold that to AOL back in the first dot-com boom and then subsequent bust. Um, Then worked at AOL, uh, you know, it's a big company. Um, Glad they bought us, but, uh, you know, I'm not a big company guy. So uh, we uh, left AOL, went to uh, grad school at Johns Hopkins to study artificial intelligence, um, and then uh, started a uh, small defense contracting company called uh, Software Theoretic. And uh, grew that, did pretty well, can't complain. Um, and then while uh, working or working to build software theoretic, I was introduced to uh, the DC uh, startup ecosystem and uh, then started making a, uh, some small bets on some local uh, companies and just found out that this is just something I have a passion for and started doing more and more of it. And uh, yeah, so that's how I kind of uh, got into the uh, startup game, as they say. It's really cool that you have an engineering background, and I would love to hear about how you started Score3Angels and whether or not your background has impacted your work with the company. Sure, sure, absolutely. So first of all, Score3 is a, uh, it's an angel network, and we are focused on funding African-American, Latino, and women high-growth tech startups. Um, and so we started it because about five or six years ago, I started doing a lot of angel investing. And what I noticed that even in my own portfolio, I didn't have any any people of color, and I didn't have any women founded tech companies, um, and that was mainly because most of my deal flow was coming through a lot of the angel groups that I was a part of, so like New Dominion Angels, who's absolutely phenomenal by the way, uh, Dingman Center Angels, um, and a couple of other local angel groups here in Washington D.C. And when you start to think about exactly why that was, it was just because in order to get to an angel group, you have to have the social connections, you have to have all of the things that just come from, you know, just this this place of privilege that most of the startups that do actually get funded have when they are first born into it, right? Um, or able to, uh, if they weren't able to easily move into those places, whereas people who look like me, um, by the way, I'm a six foot two black guy um, uh, from uh, from Tulsa, Oklahoma. So uh, both uh, rural, sort of middle America, right? you know, <laughs> real America, um, and uh, you know, there's not a lot of venture capitalists down there. So uh, I didn't really become introduced to venture capital until I got here to uh, Washington D.C. So once I started my uh, my company, Software Theoretic, started doing pretty well. You start meeting people who also have done pretty well, and they're like, hey, I've got this, you know, they pass you this deal. Hey, I've got this company that, you know, does X, Y, and Z, and, oh, they're going to be the next Facebook or what have you, you know. Uh, hey, you want to take a look at it? You want to you invest in it? And I'm like, yeah, sure, why not? You know, I don't really know. It. I was like, What's good? what is this guy talking about? So, uh, you know, we generally set up a meeting with the founder, and uh, 
and I'd be like, oh, this is awesome. And, you know, you get in a really early stage and then, you know, you start to get deal after deal. And, you know, people start sending you deal flow through the uh, through the uh, sort of these private networks uh, that uh, that are out there. And uh, the thing was is that all of the people that I met um, via the angel groups and in these sort of underground private networks, none of them looked like me, you know, maybe once or twice. But uh, but by and large, none of the deals that came through were funded by people of color or even women, for that matter. Um, and so that's why uh, after I sold the company and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with myself, uh, you know, I'm 42, so I have to do something. Um, and I want to I want to leave the world a better place than where I came. So uh, we started a uh, angel group, a few angels uh, that I work with. Um, and uh, we're just out right now looking for uh, women. Uh, black and brown founders who uh, who want to take big swings at uh, at big problems, and uh, we're looking to fund them. That's really neat. That's a really cool story too. I think it just sort of speaks to how easy it is to fall into certain patterns if you're not consciously thinking about the composition of your portfolios and the folks you're investing in. Oh, absolutely, and because I mean, most of this is like I mean, I've met a lot of people in the investment industry, right, in this venture capital industry or angel investment industry. And they're all phenomenal, right? Like, at the end of the day, no one's ever called me the N-word. No one's ever, like, shut me out of something. But it's just, they just don't hang around, you know, they just hang around people who are kind of, you know, who they hang out with. They hang out with their family, they've mm-hmm. got kids. It's just kind of like, you know, all of it. It's, it's, it's not something that people are doing implicitly or, or explicitly, right? It's just more... It's just how communities are built in America. Um, you know, I happen to live in a community that's uh, that's a suburb, sort of a, a nice suburb of uh, Washington D.C. And you know, we just kind of all hang out with each other. And so, I just don't think that that their day to day paths allow for them to meet a more diverse set of founders, right? And that's sort of my goal, um, and that's sort of my purpose in life, right? Is you know, I've been lucky enough to do well. Um, I'm able to be included in certain spaces where there are certain people who have certain access to deals and deal flow and pools of capital. And uh, what I believe my purpose in life now is to open up the door, right? To yep. allow people who look like me, who quite frankly look like yourself as well, yep, um, to, uh, to, to have access to, this, uh, to these pools of capital um, so that they can, uh, so they can build great and phenomenal companies. Super cool. I'm wondering, what is it that forms an angel network? Can you talk about what it means to be an angel investor? And then also, what does it mean to be part of an angel investment group or an angel investment network? It just means that you're interested in learning new things, right? It's not sort of this special type of thing, right? It's not like, you know, someone comes and gives you this 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 uh, they just kind of knight you now that I go now you can become <laughs> an angel investor right it's like anyone can become an angel investor and, uh, and quite frankly we're looking for more people to become angel investors right so uh, the technical definition right um, is you have to be a credit investor and that just means you have to make two hundred thousand dollars a year um, if you're single and three hundred thousand dollars a year as a family and you just have to have some surety that you're going to continue to make that type of money. So that's what the, the government defines as an accredited investor. And so if you are an accredited investor, then typically you can invest in all of these deals. Also, with the passing of the Jobs Act, we have equity crowdfunding, so you don't even have to be an accredited 
investor. You can invest through a lot of the uh, the uh, equity crowdfunding platforms like Republic, Seed Investor, or even WeFunder. Really, to become an angel investor, you just have to say, hey, I want to take a little bit of money that I have, and I want to invest it in really cool startups that uh, hopefully become Facebook. Um, and if they don't become Facebook, I think Google will also suffice as well. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, you just gotta you just gotta want to meet people and uh, and join an angel group. And I think that's the best way to start angel investing. I would not invest by myself without a group, right? Because to be quite frank, as a group, we tend to make better decisions. I know personally, I've like met a startup and I was like, oh, this startup is awesome. Let's just put a ton of money in this startup and let's go in because they're going to just like, they're just going to change the world, right? And then, you know, you take it to about 50 or 60 really smart people. We toss it around. They ask a lot of questions. They really dig into the founder. And then, you know, sometimes, you know, you find things that, oh man, this already exists and, you know, 500 people already tried it. And, and although I believe that entrepreneurs are I mean, that's the definition of an entrepreneur. It's doing something that 500 people tried and then, you know, having the courage to do it again, right? There are just some ideas that just, you know, we tried, they're not going to work. And, uh, and yeah, and I've been saved a couple of times um, because, you know. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, we, we, we didn't invest. Um, and the good thing is that we didn't invest because yeah, it didn't work out. And yeah. um, so, but then at the same time, if you got to know when to play your own solo, you know, it's kind of like jazz, you know, you got to kind of know when to go out on your own and make a, and make an investment, and um, and we've done that as well. So hopefully those work out. You just gotta want to learn, and so uh, come out to score three and uh, go to s three angels dot org. A little little, <laughs> little, little plug, plug in there. Oh yeah, yeah. No, our, we we just started. So score three angels dot org, s three angels dot org. They all work. It's interesting that you're talking about sort of group decision making processes and how they sort of help you almost against your own implicit biases in some ways, right? Where you might be very excited about an idea because you personally are a fan of a specific type of chocolate, so you go ahead and invest in that company, but it might not be something that most people want. So it kind of makes sense to be able to have that sounding board or to have that group of people who you're working with around that. But one thing I do want to pick out is that you mentioned bias, right? And, you know, if you think of bias in sort of this, in the clinical term, so my background is artificial intelligence, and, and I'm okay with bias because... Every artificial intelligence algorithm is based on some type of bias, right? So bias can be good. But when it comes to investing, it's like you just have to be aware of the bias, right? And there's there's over 100 bias, like clinically defined biases, um, you know, in the world. You can find it on the Wikipedia page. And when mm-hmm. I do, um, I teach a due diligence or a taught a due diligence uh, mm-hmm. session uh, at the University of Maryland at the Demon Center, um, uh, Center of Entrepreneurship. And uh, that was one of the biggest book I, that I uh, focused on is is understanding all the different types of bias, everything from confirmation bias to all these other you know various biases that are out there, and you just gotta sort of understand what they are, and then be self aware enough to know that ah you know this might be I might be looking at it this way because you know maybe this is my point of view, and so having all of those folks around really help to uh, sort of point out when bias is sort of have crept into the uh, into the thought process when uh, when it shouldn't have. Yeah, definitely. Very interesting. From an entrepreneur's perspective, mm-hmm. what are some of the main things that you want to learn about the entrepreneurs you're investing in? Uh, mostly that they won't quit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I spend a lot of time trying to figure out how much determination, how bought in, to the idea they are 
And I learned that um, from a couple of deals we were in where we invested in in startup founders and maybe they didn't have as much grit as I'd, I'd hoped they would have had, right? And so, you know, they'd burn through the money and then they'd say, oh man, you know, we can't make it work and they come up with excuses and, and then they quit, right? Um, and so the ones that have, that have done the best for me Mm-hmm. Um, have been the ones that that had a plan, and even if it went a little screwy, they they didn't quit. Mm-hmm. Right? They had that determination. So I ask a lot of questions around, um, and, and there's no real way to say, "Hey, are you going to quit?" Because everyone's going to say, "Oh no, I'm not going to quit. I've been in for a long time." <laughs> right. So you know, I just spend a lot of time having conversations with uh, startup founders and mm-hmm. looking at their background, their track record. Uh, you know, um, and to determine whether they won't quit or not. All right. Mm-hmm. So now, after we figured out that they're not going to quit on us, right? That they're they're fighters. Um, the next thing is, it's probably about how big the market size is and their why, right? Like, okay, why do you want to do it? Like, mm-hmm. you know, what's driving you to try to solve this problem? Because it's, I mean, you're going after a big market and you're trying to make money, but like, what's the real purpose? Because I mean, you can make money. You can make money anywhere. So it's. You know, we try to find out what their driving purpose is. Um, but, yeah, but then after that, it's like, you know, it's like market size. It's like, do I think they can do it? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, do they have a plan? How well they thought the plan through? You know, just sort of standard, you know, run-of-the-mill just questions. Yeah, definitely. I think those are definitely some things that founders need to be thinking about as right. they're working on their plans sure. and as they're trying to really figure out what it is that each angel investor values. Mm-hmm. What are some of the latest investments that you've made, and what was it that made them interesting? Oh, cool, yeah. So um, the latest investment um, was uh, Margin Edge through uh, New Dominion Angels. Uh, we, um, we just wrapped that up. I liked it because it was unsexy, right? So what Margin Edge does is, even today, restaurants have a lot of paper invoices, right? And let's say a restaurant orders, you know, a box of lettuce, some fish, whatever it is, right? All comes in the back door, right? The guy, you know, the guy delivers a box of fish or however fish come. I don't, I've never seen a fish delivery happen, but however fish get delivered, <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, and, and, and here goes this invoice and it's a piece of paper and the guy's got to sign it and he takes it away, Right. And so the manager of the restaurant, right, is he's got his fish, right, but he's got like this this stack of paper, right, and this is like today, like I'm shocked that it still happens, right. And so uh, what they did is they built an app, right, and they take a the manager takes a picture of the of the invoice and uh, sends it up to the cloud. There's a bunch of folks all distributed across the world, and they manually type it in to the back end, and they've got integrations with pretty much every point of sale system uh, that every restaurant could ever use. They've got access to integrations to all the back-end accounting systems. And they so they've linked all those together with humans that, you know, they double and triple check the work and it just kind of shows up, right? So now every restaurant, so like if you think of like the uh, Outback Steakhouse or Bonefish mm-hmm. Grill, um, there's a three quarters of an accountant mm-hmm. for every restaurant that you see while you so like just drive down the street every restaurant has three quarters of a person that just does invoice entry mm-hmm. right and that's a big cost right mm-hmm. so basically what they're doing is they're selling restaurants they say hey for you know two or three hundred bucks a month uh, unfortunately we can repurpose 
<laughs> that accountant, right? Because, you know, I'd like to also be yeah. cognizant of, you know, technology and its impact on real jobs, right? right. But at the same time, we figured out a way to uh, automate and create this arbitrage of labor, you mm-hmm. know, across the world. And, uh, yeah, and so they've got a ton of really great customers. Uh, they're doing, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in AR, and we think they're just getting started. They're doing yeah. deals with uh, most of the fast casual and some of the really large fast food restaurants are mm-hmm. using this platform. Yeah. And so we were able to, through New Dominion Angels, we were able to put a few bucks in that. And we're looking forward to them doing uh, doing really well this year and next year. And uh, hopefully uh, hopefully they'll, someone will snap them up and uh, we'll make a lot of money. But, uh, but yeah, so that's probably the latest, like as in the very last one we just mm-hmm. did, probably about a month ago. Hmm. Um, but, Interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. So it sounds like one of the things that you look for is already existent revenue in some way. So is it safe to say that you're looking at companies that are a little bit farther along than the seed stage? Yeah. Well, so that's interesting, right? Because, I mean, companies are getting so far on their own. Like a credit card, like twenty, thirty thousand. Some of these companies, you know, especially if the founders are a, a software engineer um, and they've already got sort of a core team of folks that are putting in nights and weekends. I mean, some of these companies are coming in with four, five, six hundred thousand dollars worth of annual recurring revenue just on that right just mm-hmm. on that what we might call that friends and family yeah so definitely. so yeah i mean i think you know between amazon web services and open source software it's just so in facebook advertising mm-hmm. it's just so easy to start well i'm gonna say easy but it's just gotten a lot cheaper right to start a company yeah and um so yeah it's just the bar the bar is literally just elevating naturally so yeah, by the time definitely. they get to us they've there's a lot of competition already with a ton yeah. of so it's not like we specifically seek it. Mm-hmm. It's just that most of the good companies or a lot of good teams already have revenue traction before mm-hmm. they need sort of an institutional or an outside round of funding. So um but yeah, I mean that stuff. If you don't have the knowledge, right? Like if you didn't grow up around computers and you know, you don't have access to a whole bunch of people who can write software. Mm-hmm. Um, like many, you know, black and brown founders, um, yeah, it could be, it could be tough, but the bar is being raised and we have to, we have to adjust and, um, we have to sort of all meet the bar. But yeah, so we typically, uh, we typically like to see revenue, particularly in the angel community. Hmm, that's um, very interesting. Yeah. It sounds like the role of incubators and accelerators has really expanded over the, over the last few years, because it seems like a lot of folks are getting that initial help as they're starting their companies and as they're at the ideation stage in order to sort of be much more sophisticated by the time they even get to investors in the first place. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So if you look at your Y Combinators, your 500 startups, mm-hmm. those folks, they've got it down to a science. And so mm-hmm. the companies that are coming out of that um, definitely have a leg up, um, which is also why it's important to increase access to those early on ramps, uh, you know, onto the or onto the entrepreneurial journey, right? Is, uh, so you know, Y Combinator being more diverse. I mean, if you have Michael Siebel, obviously, um, and he's making a, uh, he's doing a lot of work in that area to uh, increase the diversity um, uh, within that accelerator. Um, but, you know, that's just one accelerator. And it's mm-hmm. just, you know, if you don't want to move to San Francisco, yeah. then, uh, you know, we still need accelerators uh, that are focusing on uh, black, brown, and women founders in New York and Miami, but then also in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where I grew up, yeah. um, you know, across the country. So, um, so yeah. I would say so. Very interesting. 
So you have an engineering background, and you were doing computer science before it was as popular as it is today. Uh, you know, yeah, I'm not that old. But. <laughs> so I'm wondering, what would you say is the role of learning how to code in an entrepreneurial ecosystem? It's, it's one of the most important things, right? Because all of the companies that we're talking about now are born from from software, right? It's uh, they're all software enabled, they're tech enabled. Uh, it's the key component to uh, building all of these really great things that we uh, that we enjoy today. Um, so so yes. So when I was young, I was eight when I first started learning how to write software, and that was you know TI ninety nine with <laughs> and the basic the basic operating system. Um, and was able to do that because uh, just randomly, my mother picked up a ninety nine dollar uh, TI ninety nine computer sure. and uh, and brought it home. Right, and that's awesome. Yeah, and uh, I just started, you know, playing games on it first, mm-hmm. and then you know, I was like, oh, I can write these, I can write software programs, I can create my own games, and uh, you might not believe it, but you can go to a thing called a bookstore, um, and you could buy <laughs> a book about you know about an inch and a half thick, and it just had programs. It's mm-hmm. like printed out the lines of program, like really, so, yeah. So it was like if you wanted yeah. a game, like I wanted to do like Pac Man. Then you can go and you can buy the Pac-Man book, and it had all of the lines of code printed out on paper, <laughs> right? It's just crazy. That's really cool. Yeah, and you take it home, and then you just type in the code from the book, hmm. and then you run it, hmm. and then you'd have a game. Wow. And that's how I learned how to code, is you just literally, I got these books, and I type mm-hmm. it in, I spend like all day. Remember I told you that's as a little ADD, um, but I had I've got the part that lets me focus for like thirty six hours straight. Mm-hmm. Um, so so yeah, I would literally would stay up on a weekend like mm-hmm. from Friday to Sunday, mm-hmm. all night at like nine, and just copy down all the lines of code and basic. And then you'd run it, and it was awesome. And then when you turn the thing off, you would lose it. <laughs> so. Um, so, so yeah, until my, my, my mom bought me a cassette player, hmm. and then you could record and save this code on the cassette tape, right? Wow. Which is awesome, because now I could spend all weekend writing the code, save it to a cassette player, and then play it back, right? So it was like, that was like the beginning, right? So, but like, now we've advanced, right? And so I've got a daughter, she's eight, and uh, so she goes and she's learning Minecraft, and she's learning how to code, but... And she's going to do just fine if she decides to pursue software engineering. But there's a lot of folks that just don't have access to a, either the resources, the hardware, etc. Even though computers are like dirt cheap, there's just a lot of people who just don't have enough money for computers, right? Yeah. And they're not out buying like you know expensive tennis shoes and things like that, right? They just they truly just don't have the money. Yeah. So that's where um, that's where like organizations and governments need to step mm-hmm. in and help um, fund software engineering and computer science and even computer thinking right mm-hmm. in schools and so uh you know and then also when i got into mid school middle school and things like that we actually had computer science as a class and yeah. we had computer labs mm-hmm. and they taught us how to program and that's just mm-hmm. how i uh how i got into it until so, but i see that a lot of a lot of schools today just don't have those resources and they don't have teachers who can who can who even know enough to to be able to teach you know, Java or JavaScript or Python or whatever it is. And so that's just one of the things. So I think as an industry, if we don't sort of bolster up the pipeline, Mm -hmm. then I think at the end of the day, it's going to be tougher and tougher to uh, find the people, to find enough talented people 
to start and build these these great companies that uh, produce a lot of value. So, yeah, definitely, that's fantastic. To close out, could you tell us if you have specific advice for entrepreneurs if they're looking for funding or if they're trying to source technical talent? Yeah. Okay. So if you're looking for funding, just go to s3angels.org and. <laughs> Click on the apply link, right? You'll see it right there. Or um, just send me an email at uh, Rashad at S3Angels.org. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but basically, um, if you're looking for funding, um, get a team together. Get your team together. Have all your ducks in a row. Um, I would say the biggest advice for, definitely for people of color, is learn the lingo, right? Like, learn the game. Learn learn how things work. There's a ton of resources out there that um, that are just out there freely available. If you just Google it, there's tons of people blogging about it. Um, so just educate yourself on it, right? Um, you don't have to be a super duper expert on it to talk to me because I realize that not everyone has had the opportunity to know what questions, to even know what questions to ask. So, uh, so yeah, so I, I work with people who may not know or may not be fully polished um, and so just send me an email if you have any questions, um, if you want to learn lingo, but just go out on Google and, and just kind of educate yourself on, on, you know, how angel investors think, how investors think. Um, and if you're still confused, just send me an email. That's a very generous offer. Uh, I'm putting it out there for everyone. So all the <laughs> listeners of this podcast, Rashad at S3angels.org, I, uh, I will get back with you. It will probably be at two in the morning. Um, but uh, I will send you an email back and I will respond. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was really fun chatting. You can check out Rashad's work on Twitter and Facebook at Score3Angels. You can follow me on LinkedIn or Twitter at Rihanna Shah. Thanks for listening and see you next week.